Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Uh, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mr. Billy Graziadei. Billy is from Biohazard, Suicide City, Powerflow, Billy Bio. He is a, uh, a producer, he is a father, and he is a first-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Henner and Hiron Gracie of the famous Gracie family. What is up, Billy? What's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> doing good, man. Working out some... Uh, Technical difficulties during the the downtime here, but uh, you actually are the first ever requested guest I've ever had on my podcast. Oh yeah, 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 hey, yeah. I put hey, something my, out there, and somebody was like, "You got to get Billy on." I was like, "Awesome, we're actually working on that, so it's perfect." So I actually got people who had questions that they sent in and stuff. So it's probably going to be the most professional one I've done so far. So uh, how's everything going over there with the lockdown? You keeping busy in California? Yep, house arrest pretty easy nice man nice so uh one of the things i thought was going to be interesting was as soon as i heard that everybody out there was going to be on lockdown you were one of the only people that i was like this guy is going to thrive in this environment of of it's not going to be like sitting down all day and freaking watching netflix and getting fat like he's going to be recording and doing stuff like you're always a guy who's never sitting still you always have something going on in the studio you're on tour, you're making videos, you're doing social media, you're at jujitsu, you're hanging out with your family. So how are you uh, How are you seeing this? Because I, I, I imagine it's probably not that much of an adjustment for you. You know, um, most of the guys I've been talking to for the last couple of weeks are, are like you. They're entrepreneurial, they're go-getter guys. So having this downtime has just given them time to, to be even more productive and catch up on stuff that we're falling behind. So are you uh, finding a little bit of the same thing? You're really using this time wisely and productively, I would assume? Yeah, dude, I, I kind of, there's two things to this. One, um, I'm used to it, you know, I, I, we, we're musicians. We, we isolate to create music. We isolate on a tour bus or a band. We isolate in hotels. This is, our, this is what we do. So we're used to it. Um, but we also thrive on the interaction with people. So that, that's something that everybody has to deal with. Um, for me, and then the other thing is I, I've, I've always kept um, a 50-gallon drum of water that's treated for prepper reasons. I have three months of food, dried food always in storage. I'm, I'm all set for that stuff. So I, I kind of like been prepared for this kind of shit. It was a little bit sketchy when, when, when things first hit the fan because I think, Callie, we locked down first. And then I got all the phone calls um, from people who were just like, dude, I, I you know, people who are, are good friends, who um, aren't so up on the Second Amendment right and they're kind of like anti-gun, which I get, and, and that's cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm for you, you know. Anyways, I got phone calls from people saying shit like, I know you have guns, man. I know you have arsenals. Can, you, can I buy a gun off you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but if shit hits a fan, you can come to my house and I'll fucking protect you. But it's, it's legal. Like, you can't just you can't sell somebody a gun when shit hits the fan, and you know so that's a real sketchy issue. And California, Los Angeles, the other thing they did was, 
as much as I, um, I love, uh, you know, our mayor, um, and, and Rossetti is like, um, he's awesome. He's great. But they shut down and close all the gun shops. And I have friends call me all the time, like saying, what do you mean? I can't believe this dude. I, I, I can't, I can't get a fucking a weapon. I can't get a gun. I'm like, yeah, you gotta wait in line. What am I gonna wait in line? Can't I just buy it online? I'm like, no. Remember, you voted against it. We had a big argument, and then they're like, "What?" Now they closed the gun shops. I'm like, yeah, it's against their constitutional right. But the thing is, as much as I am pro, uh, you know, the, the marijuana business and the dispensaries was a great thing that we did in California. There, they, the, the local government deemed them as necessary, which I think it. Should be, but they closed the gun shops, which I'm like, what? That seemed fucking weird. So I, I, it was odd that, that I got a lot of phone calls from people um, about that issue. So besides that, I'm, I'm all good. Nice, man. Nice. So has that always been something that you really have always had in you, is just being creative and, and being a go-getter and really keeping busy? I mean, it. Uh, I think I remember. It might have been your dad was telling me a story about how there was like something when you were younger that you needed money for a recording, and he was like, "Nah." Even then, man, he instead of using the money to pay somebody else, he used the money to figure out how to be his own producer and then be able to record his own stuff. And just that thinking outside the box and um, that entrepreneurship or all the stuff you're doing, it, it seems like it's 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 been a long time in, in your blood from uh, the old days in Brooklyn starting out with biohazard or getting just into music has that did that kind of come down from your dad did you learn that just from being going through some other bad stuff or were you just always a self-starter to me bro i i here there's two funny stories on, on that side but on the serious tip it's not how you handle the bad news it's not how you handle the good news be successful it's how you handle the bad news and successful people they, you don't tell the stories. Everybody sees all the good shit that happens to you, but they don't see the long line of disastrous fucking obstacles. Uh, to me, I don't look at things as problems. I've always looked at things like, okay, it's a challenge. How do I overcome this? Because there's, it's not, there's always an, ex one of the things that we shared jujitsu in common, we mentioned that earlier. There's always an escape. There's always a way. There's always an angle. I married a Brazilian. In Brazil, they have a saying, um, Zetinho Brasileiro, and it means the way of the street. Where there's a will, there's a way. And it's like, on a very basic thing, a Brazilian will look at a line to get in the club, and they see all the people, like a long line that goes around the block, right? But the Brazilian's going to go up the front and say, hey, I know you, even if it's <laughs> bullshit. And they're going to talk to the bouncer, and they're going to find out a conversation, through conversation, that they know they have a mutual friend, and before you know it, they're in, they're in the club. They don't have to wait in the end of the line. So it's all how you, it's all perspective. Last week I posted a, a and it was funny because it was, I posted a, a stock, uh, it was like um, S&P or the Dow, or whatever, but it was a perspective. I put two in, analysis of the same fucking thing. If you looked at the day on Friday, it was fucking disastrous. It was, a, it was red and it was declining. But if you zoomed out and looked at the week, it was green and inclining, okay? So how you look at things changes your perspective a lot of times. So I don't look at being isolated as um, something that holds me back. 
I look at it as something that helps me give me more time to do things that I didn't have time to do before. Whether it's learning to you know, play new songs on piano, having a chance to um, sit down and record a video with my daughter singing. I've been trying, she's got such an amazing voice. I've been trying to let her record her and I playing for 10 years. She never lets me. And finally I was able to do that. Or, um, you know, luckily for me, I scheduled my time to record new, a new record for Billy Bio and a new record for Power Flow. That was my, nice. that just happened with a chance um, with me. A lot of bands, a lot of friends were supposed to be on tour. So to, on the other side of that question, my pop, who's, um, he's a scientist. He did research in cancer and AIDS his whole life. Um, so he wasn't like a financial guy, you know, he's very scientific and all, everything was very, it's this black and white. As an artist, there's a lot of gray things, you know, you're more flexible and things. But one of the things I did coming up as a kid, I remember um, at the beginning of the band, I dropped out of college to just really put my shit 100% focused on music. And my pop was like, you can't do that. It's a hobby. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it pop. We'll see. But I remember defaulting on my loans. So I took out a lot of loans and I wasn't paying, right? They fucking, and because my pop and I had the same name, they went, and I used that money to put myself to school. And I went to audio engineering school in New York. And what happened was that became the foundation that now is, was my B plan. Unintentionally became, so I own a recording studio. I record and produce bands. I do my own bands and a lot of other bands. But what happened was um, when I defaulted on the loans, my pop, he, I didn't know at the time, but he had a, um, a little financial reserve that he was, you know, um, investing in. The government went into the account, froze the account, took the funds because I owed money on back taxes. And that was, he, well, you know, he's an old school Italian dude, called me up. Oh, what are you fucking kidding me? How the fuck the government dropped my money? I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. It was my account, right? Yeah, but so it's my money. Yeah, but I was, because he was investing in it for me, he, wa he wanted to be able to give me that money down the road. But be until he gave it to me, it was still his money. So it was like a little argument back and forth. I said, no, no, Pop. They grabbed that money because it was under my name, my social security number. It was only a couple grand or whatever, but it was a principle. So the biggest takeaway I took away from my pop was principle. It's always been about the principle. Like to me, like I don't care if it's a dollar or a thousand or ten thousand. If you rob me for a dollar, it's the same shit. Move the decimal point. Doesn't matter to me. It's the same thing. So for him, it was principle. So that's the biggest takeaway from my took from my father on top of his work ethic and and grinding. You just keep working. You grind. That's it. You have the same thing. I know you do. <laughs> nice, man. I love that. So you've obviously uh, been around music for a long time, you know, starting out as one of the founders of that whole New York hardcore legendary scene. Um, Biohazard is a huge, famous band that stood the test of time, still selling out shows whenever they play. Um, but I've watched you play with different bands, and I see – you know, I, I've trained with you in jiu-jitsu, and I, you know, I, everybody's probably sick of hearing me say this in this podcast, but one of my favorite favorite phrases is how you do anything is how you do everything. And I definitely see that with you from the shows that I've seen you play 
to sell out crowds to some of the side bands when you started playing with Suicide City on smaller stages to just rolling and training. Like you definitely are always present in what you're doing. Um, and, and that's something that I think is, is, is awesome because I do see a lot of guys that are entrepreneurial in spirit when they're doing stuff, they're not really paying attention to what they're doing. They're thinking about other stuff. But anytime I've had a conversation with you, I always feel like you're engaging the conversation. You're talking to me when we're training at jujitsu. I don't get the impression that you're thinking about what's happening later today, studio stuff, music. It looks like you're worrying about jujitsu. You're focusing on jujitsu and the same thing when you're on stage, it doesn't look like you are thinking about anything, but giving that audience an awesome show and playing those songs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Again, talk talk a little bit through the progression for starting out in New York years ago on, you know, getting a new band out and then recreating that. Because I do definitely think that the principles of anybody being successful, it's like you said, you're going to have bad shows, you're going to have bad deals, you're going to have bad days. But how do you bounce back from them? Do, do you let those define you or do you just, you know, put your big boy pants on and just keep trucking and going after it? And obviously you've done that multiple times. I mean, and again, how you do anything is how you do everything. So the same way you've started and made successful multiple bands, you've also helped uh, produce other bands and you don't get a black belt by accident. You know, any guy that, that I see with a black belt, I never look at it and go, that guy can kick anybody's ass. I go, that guy took a lot of ass beatings to earn that black belt. And I feel like that's what it is, is, you know, every day you come back a little bit harder, especially at the gym that you're at. I mean, you guys have some killers there. So to earn a black belt at that gym under those guys, you definitely had to take your licks and I'm sure you, you've given them too. But, um, you know, talk a little bit about just the journey from starting out years ago in the music business and starting biohazard to where it is today and how things have shipped, shifted and changed a little bit to get where you are. Well, I think the, uh, the, the biggest thing I mentioned a second ago was I don't look at anything as an obstacle. I look at it as a challenge and that has been everything. And one of the things to face challenges, you have to be in the moment. You can't, you know, fight a war thinking about how you're going to celebrate the winnings. You got to be in the war. You, you can't win it unless you're in it. And, and I, I take that approach with everything from Suicide City to Biohazard um, to Billy, my solo record, my solo career, to Power Flow, to Jiu Jitsu. You can't, um, you can't be on the mat in a chaotic situation and be thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. And there's certain things, there's, there's a certain thing about relaxing that is important. Like um, Hickson told me when I, I did a bunch of, started with Hickson back in the day, Hickson Gracie. And Hickson told me once, he said, in the, the worst situation of your life, you the calmest you could ever be. And if you, react in anger or with aggression or in business if you would answer an email angry because the negotiation didn't go you know what i mean how you how you wanted it or how you planned you lose so you have to remain calm and the number one so, so there's a lot of things everything fits together in my life especially during these times the the biggest thing i take away is you have to in any situation rule number one remain calm don't react. To sit back and, and, and analyze the situation. So for me, being in isolation, what do I do? I, I stick to a schedule. I still do what I can do. I find out ways to do what I'm not allowed to do. How can I do it? Okay, I, I love to train. At home, it's 300. Yesterday was 350 push-ups a day. 
if you're in a in a lockdown situation, you don't have the gym. You don't. I talked to some buddies in New York. They say the big shortage is weights. Nobody can find weights because everybody wants to work at a home. Just do push-ups. I'm like, bro, just I did fucking 300 push-ups that day when I was talking to him. Now yesterday was at 350. The goal it was at the end of two weeks to be able to do 400 push-ups a day. It's I know it sounds hard. It's fucking easy. I'm not, you know, fucking some fucking maniac. It's not that hard. I know it sounds like it's hard. It's not like I'm doing 400 push-ups at once. I built up to do 50 at a time. Every, you know, a set of 50. Take a break. I'll do a little bit of ab. And I keep doing it. At the end, the goal was to be at 400. I'm, I, I hit 350 yesterday. We're at, I think today is the end of the two weeks. So that was my goal. I didn't hit it, but I'm there. So, um, so like everything, you have, you have to find a way to maneuver around the situations and, and look at things as a challenge. And to go back in the early days, there was a band I played with. A punk, my first punk rock band was a band called Museum of Corruption. And the other dudes in the band, at a, at a challenging time for the band, they, they threw in the towel. They're like, we want to continue with our school and studies. We, you know, we don't want to do it anymore. They all said it in their own different ways. The singer of the band, my boy Chris, went on to finish school. We st still are best friends. He became a lawyer, and now he's a judge. He still has the same punk ethics that we, that we had back then, but he's a judge, you know, and he does his thing. Um, but one of the things I, I told the guys, I remember when the shit hit the fan, we were having this conversation. It was in somebody's dorm room or somebody's apartment. I don't, I don't remember, but... I said, listen, guys, don't quit, man. I'm, we're going to play CBGBs one day. And they're like, nah. I said, watch me. Stick with me. We'll play CBGBs. And that was a realistic goal I set for me, you know. And the band dissolved. And, and later, and, and I ended up starting Biohazard maybe a, a year late, a couple years later. I don't remember the timing. But that still was a goal. And we played CBGBs with Biohazard. And then it was... The Ritz. Then, you know, then it was like selling out Lamore. So shit kind of, you, you, you reach one goal and you set another goal that's a little bit, um, that's higher than your previous goal, but attainable. You don't want to sit at the bottom of Mount Everest and say to yourself, I'm going to climb that fucking top of that mountain because there's a potential that it's going to be so overwhelming when you hike 10 feet and you can't breathe because your body's acclimated to the lack of oxygen. So, it's okay to say, you know what, that's the ultimate goal to get to the top of Mount Everest. But a realistic goal is all I'm going to do is today I'm going to fucking hike 20 feet. I'm going to get up to that ridge right there, and then I'm going to chill. I'm going to get acclimated to the lack of oxygen, and then I'll worry about the next goal. If you set those realistic goals, which I do and I've done my whole life, it's easier to reach the final goal, which is kind of like has been in the back of your mind. And you'll sit at the top of Mount Everest and you'll plant your flag and you'll be like, fuck it, I did it. But I did it on a, on a term that was easier for me to attain that main goal. So for me as a musician, first there was CBGBs. And then it was another goal, you know, then it was getting a record deal. Um, and I do, and I apply that same philosophy to everything I do, whether it was Suicide City, a solo record or a power flow or any of the bands that I work with. Ever wanted to play the drums? Why your home take an online drum lesson for free 
or get some online drum lessons for your kids so they can burn some energy while they are all cooped up. Take advantage of this special opportunity to take a free online drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected and well-known drummers, Danny Lamagna. Dan has played with such bands as Suicide City, Sworn Enemy, Biohazard, Crown of Thorns, Walls of Jericho, The Real Mackenzies. He is also endorsed by DW, Sabian, Vader, and has tons of experience teaching kids, adults, and all different types of music styles, and has played in bands all around the world. Dan is giving free lesson to see if it's a great fit for you and can give all types of great specials right now to get you guys involved. Do not wait. Go on his website, www.danlamagna.com slash lessons. That's www.danlamagna.com slash lessons. Or check the show notes for this podcast, and there will be links in there as well. Again, free drum lesson with one of the most well-known drummers in the tri-state area, Dan Lamagna. www.danlamagna.com slash lessons. You will not regret it. So. That's, nice. That's awesome, man. I love that. Bite, bite-sized goals and increments, I think, is definitely the way to go. And, um, you know, you, like you said, you you climb that Everest with biohazards, so you just went right back to the bottom and said, I'm going to climb right back up again. Probably no difference. And, you know, I always actually think about you because you, you've given me a lot of things over the years that you'll just, like, in conversation or in passing, you'll say something, and it just sticks with me. It's it's weird. You're, you're like, uh, kind of like my Mr. Miyagi, I guess. But, um one of the things you told me one day, I remember we were we were somewhere, I think we were out with Taking Back Sunday in Suicide City when we were doing that thing over there. And Suicide City, by the way, was, is still to this day one of the, the best live shows I've ever seen, man. You guys just did amazing things. That was really fun. But you said something to me. There was a couple of guys that were at one of the clubs, and they knew you for a long time. And they were like, man, Billy's always been the same guy. And I remember you said, you always have to remember that you're going to see certain people along the way up. And you're going to see the same people back on the way down. So you always should be nice to everybody. And I was like, man, like, and I, I see it in business that there's these guys that are doing really well and they turn into like complete dicks and they treat everybody like shit. And then all of a sudden things aren't going that well. And you start to cross those same people and they remember that people remember like not what you had or what you did, but how you treated them. And um, that was one of the things that looking at the success you've had and the longevity you've had in this business I would think has to come a lot from that you've always been that guy. You've always been the same exact person, regardless if you're playing with a brand new band in front of 30 people or in Brazil in front of 30,000 people. And I always try to remember that in business of of just being humble and just putting the hard work in and just treating people as I'm being treated. And uh, I don't know if that's, again, something you got from your dad or just something you learned through through Brooklyn and through life. But it was a really good philosophy that I, I put towards everything. Um, sorry, dude, your time's up. I'm busy. I got to go. All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, I, I, to me, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. Um, and, you know, one of the, the many things you take away from that upbringing is do unto others as you'd have done to you. And I think as I grew as a person, I realized I don't want to be just cool with people because I want them to be cool back to me. I want to be cool with people just because that's the right thing to do. It's not like I want to return. I don't, I don't do favors for people. I don't look out for people. I don't make connections with introducing people in business or whatever because I want something to come back to me. It's just the right thing to do. And I, I think that um, 
I, you know, I, I kind of like verbalize that in a lot of different ways coming up. And th that's a funny thing. You know, I remember hearing that a long time ago. Um, and you just reminded me, you meet the same people you do on the way up as you do on the way down. And I've had, you know, that's the music industry. It's the way things work. And I've watched it. And, and I think that um, and for me, I would much rather deal with people who are cool with me than who haven't been cool with me. Um, but I can handle both, you know, and I know how to deal with people. That's helped me a lot uh, dealing with um, different personalities, you know, being a producer with different members of, of, of bands. There's always, you know, the, there's always the guys who in the band who take to my ideas. Then I was always one guy in a band that's just like jealous because I'm having ideas for their music. So they're always the last one to come around and they're always the one that I get along the best with at the end of making that record with them. So um, I think the way we, here's another thing I wanted because I get done explaining the last question and in two words, you, you summed up pretty much what I took 10 minutes to explain. <laughs> you said small gains and what? Bite size goals? Yeah. So I, I, here's a little funny story during Suicide City. When one of the things I've learned is that you can't beat life experience. And the things that I've learned are through experience. So they're valuable lessons. When I was studying school, you read something from a book and it sinks in and you, you, you can... Um, you know, you can like be like, yeah, okay, that's how you're supposed to do it. But there's nothing more valuable than a life lesson. So during Suicide City, there was, we were doing a biohazard record. We lost the record. All right. It was a fuck one of those VH1 behind the scenes stories where there was a disaster in the studio. We were mixing the record and it was the first, everything was starting to switch over from analog to digital. We, so the hard drives blew up. There's a whole, long backstory about why it happened, but we lost the record. And the way the music industry works is it's a cycle, all right? You make the record, you go on tour, you get the remainder of that financial uh, budget for making that record, then you get your publishing money, you get an advance on your merchandise, you go on tour, you make show revenue and tour revenue, and you tour. When the record starts declining in sales, you go back and you do another record. And that's one complete cycle of the music industry that's how it used to work kind of works relatively the same when we lost that record the cycle stopped the financial the whole thing stopped and it was a devastating blow to me as a musician because i thought biohazard was going, going to go on forever i just you know bought a new house i bought i had a new uh, just got married we had a baby so everything suddenly stopped and i'm like holy fuck I realized I didn't diversify myself enough because I put all my eggs in one basket. I was Billy from Biohazard, and that's it. I was starting up Suicide City, and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I got a mortgage. I got a mouse to feed, people that are responsible for me, that, resp that, res that um, I'm responsible for, people that relied on me, a wife and a, a new baby. So I got a I, some friends of mine who worked at Coca-Cola, they were like, dude, 
you know, we can get you into the company. I'm like, fuck Coca-Cola. <laughs> fuck them. It's a big corporate death machine. I'm not into that big corporate shit. But I was like, I got mouths to feed. And I'll sell paper clips on the fucking corner to feed my daughter and, my, and pay for my, my, my mortgage. So I swallowed my pride and I went into the company. I was there for like a month. And then there was two choices. I, they were like, you can go for management or you can go for the union. And I'm a big union guy. I was like, fuck them. I'm going to go union. My buddies were like, just come in the union. You can do whatever you want. And they can't fuck with you once you get you know vested in, in the company. So I did that. Bro, it was fucking rough. There was times when I was in Staten Island and people were like, hey, can you hand me a Coke? I'm stocking shelves. And I remember turning around saying, yeah, here you go. It's, it's five for a dollar or whatever. And people were like, aren't you the guy from Biohazard? I'm like, yeah, well, you want Diet Coke or you want Coke? What the fuck you want? <laughs> so one of the things I learned quickly with the company was there was things that, that I, they, they were doing as a company that I was like, this is stupid. Why are you doing this? You should do this. It'll save time and money. I had learned all these things, not from a book, but just from biohazard, just from running the business of the band, taking care of merchandise, organizing tours, all these things that, that were, if I, would, if I was a business manager, if I was a business major or I had an MBA, I would have known the textbook phrases of things. But I had real life experience of how to solve problems, how to circumvent issues, how to make things streamlined. So all these things started coming. And within a month, I got sat down by the, one of the, the branch managers. And, and he was like, bro, you should come in with management. You have a lot of cool ideas. I'm like, nah, I want to stay with you. I want to stay in the union. I want to be I want my boys, you know. So what I did eventually, they kept making the offer saying, you, you got to come into management. And I ended up going into management. But I remember there was times when there were some issues and some things that I, there was a lot of problems that they were having. And there was one time they, um, there's a couple things that I did that they, um, they gave me an award and they want to take pictures. I'm like, nah, like, no, no, this, this has never been done before. And you broke this record. And I'm like, no, I don't want any documentation. Cause my thing, I was like, this is just a, a band aid. you know, like working with Coca-Cola was just something to help me bridge a gap during my time as an artist to help me get through this tough time. And it did eventually, but I went to management and one of the things that the dudes pointed out, they're like, you have a future here. I'm like, mm, maybe, but in the back of my head, I was like, this is a bandaid, bro. You know, I do what I do. I'm an artist. I love doing what I do, starting things up from scratch and, and creating something from nothing. That, that's a certain kind of um, satisfaction and, you know, reward that I get. I love that. And I, I and I looking now, I, I, looking back at what I've done and what I do, that's where I thrive in. I love thing and turning it into something else. Um, so that was my experience. So when I give these anecdotes to people, and I've, I've done a few podcasts and com had conversations with people similar to yourself where they're successful in business and they, they, I can like talk about a story for 10 minutes and they will just spit out some kind of term that sums it up. And uh, it, it's an interesting switch how, how people who I know that are successful in business, they learn these things and they apply them. To me, I didn't learn, but I got the lesson from doing it. 
and taking what the takeaway is that sometimes it takes it took 10 years to learn something that I could have learned in 10 months in a, in a business class. So to me, it's more applicable in it lasts longer. Like, you know, my old man, I remember, you know, told me literally, don't touch the stove. It's hot. But I didn't learn. I had to touch it. I remember looking at the, he was cooking. We were, you know, um, on our way from Boston to New York as a little kid. And he was cooking in the backyard. And he told me that. But I remember looking at, it was, you know, there was a cookout and they had this windshield. It was like the round thing with, you know, with, um, with, with coal inside, or charcoal, right? But I remember looking, I'm like, wait, Pop just told me not to touch this, it's hot, but the stove, it's not red. So I fucking touched it and burned the shit out of my fucking hands. But I learned a valuable lesson. And my Pop, who was a scientist, he didn't need, he knew it was hot, he told me it was hot, and even though he told me it was hot, I still had to experience it. So it was a much more valuable lesson getting burned than him telling me, <laughs> you know? So some of us need um, to learn, you know, in a, in, 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 you know, learn, uh, you know, hands on than hands off. It's more valuable for me. So I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com, and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. Dude, I, I completely agree with that. And uh, you, you just touched on like 30 different things that I could go off on tangents on. But uh, a few of them I thought were really cool is, is one of them is that life experience, that business experience. It's 100% right when you go and you learn those things, regardless of what the product is, whether it's a band or real estate or Coca-Cola or whatever it is, I see a lot of people that want to go be a rock star. They want to go run a jujitsu gym, or they want to start out doing it real estate, but they just want to do it for the fun of it. And they don't understand that whatever it is, if you don't learn how to run what you love, like a business, it's going to fail. And, and I think that that's one you were one of the first people that I think started to really instill into my brother, Daniel Lamagna, give him a shout out. Um, you know, he, he's a huge fan of yours. You guys put together in Suicide City, always loved uh, Biohazard and you got us both the jujitsu, but that part of really like, yeah, it's, it's fun, but if you really want longevity in it, you have to put the business side of there so you can still feed your family and pay your bills at the same time. And some people don't like that, but I feel like those are the people that they don't stick around and, and learning those lessons are applicable to business all the time. And some people are just never going to get it. And I remember when I first started boxing and the, I think like the first or second time I ever sparred, the guy hit me a couple of times and I was like, ah, he doesn't hit that hard. He's a little bit fast, but he doesn't hit that hard. I'm not worried. So I'm like dropping my hands. And then all of a sudden they're all standing over me and they're like, are you okay? And I'm looking up and I'm like, what happened? He's like, I was yelling, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. You dropped your hands, he hit you with the one, two, you didn't see it, and you got dropped in your ass. And I was like, man. And from that day forward, every other time I sparred, 
I was like, things were glued because I touched the hot stove. I got my ass whooped. And I was like, okay, he told me a thousand times, but now I needed to learn that lesson myself. And I will never forget to drop my hands again. You know what I mean? But thank God it was like in a ring or not something I couldn't do. But those lessons, I'm, I'm always I'm always like, man, the stuff in jujitsu, when you get caught in something or you're in boxing or MMA, and I feel like those practical things, I'm always like, man, I wish I could have one of my phone sales guys or my realtors. And every time they they do a, a deal wrong or they run the numbers wrong, somebody would punch them in the face because that negative reinforcement makes you learn so much faster than any of the positive stuff. And I know we're in the area of everybody gets a medal and there's no winners or losers, but that's really made a huge difference in like taking those lumps. You don't forget them when you take them yourself, regardless of who is going to tell you, hey, keep your hands up, you're going to get punched in the face. Nothing really takes the the reality out of it like it happening to you to really learn those lessons. So, um, you know, piggybacking on that, what are, actually, I don't even know if you know this, you're, you're the reason that I, I do this podcast because I would wake up every week and be like, man, if I would have started doing a podcast six months ago, two years ago, three years ago, I would have been well on the way. I would have had listeners now. I would X, Y, and Z. And then you did a podcast with Jamie Josta and you guys were talking about, um, uh, Vinny Paul. And he was like, man, I haven't been able to stay in touch with all the guys that I used to see all the time on the road because we're on different tour schedules and people have families. So he started doing the podcast as a way to be like, hey, even if nobody listens to it, it's my way to keep in touch with all the people in my life that I want to keep in touch with. And I was like, that's brilliant. So I started doing it and just calling some of my buddies that if I'm out on the road doing real estate stuff and I haven't seen any of my jujitsu buddies or Sean or Mark, I'm like, hey, let's get on and do a podcast for an hour just so I can catch up with this person and I have an excuse to talk to them. And if nobody ever hears it, who cares? And and I love it. I, it just, it helps it, me out. It makes my day better. So if I had never heard you talk to him about that, I would have never started doing these. And I probably would have never started doing jujitsu if it wasn't for you. So thank you for both of those things. Of course, bro. I think that there are no losers. There's no losers. There's no loss. Um, there's only lessons. And... There's a thing that Elio Gracie said. I don't remember quote exactly, but um, I don't lose. I just learn. And everything that you go through propels you forward. So some people um, can look at something like this is fucking devastating. Oh, my God. How am I going to get out of this? To me, I'm like, wow, this is a fucking valuable lesson here. Cool. Noted. You move on. Let it go. And the next time that shit happens and it pops up on your radar you're going to see the red flags pop up sooner and you're going to look out for that left hook and you're like oh wait a minute he fucking when he drops his right shoulder he's coming with a hook you see it coming so that's a big thing there are no you know losses there's only lessons and it, it works you, you know like like you looked at um the opportunity you saw a conversation of, of between uh jamie and i and and what are you on? What number is this? This podcast? Uh, probably 30. 30? Yeah, it's harder. Like realistic goals. You know what I mean? The, the, you like if you're like there was a time when it was like, holy shit, this is my third podcast. <laughs> now you're at 30. So um, same thing. It's like I think you um, you have to harness there's always something good. I, since the early days of Biohazard, I always found there's always a, I, the smallest little hint of something positive to, to grab onto, and I, I've always used that. 
you know, I, I, uh, I'm definitely the, the glass is half full kind of guy. And it's an easier way to look at and ask for things that you want in your life, not things that you don't want in your life. You know? Yeah, for sure, man. So I'm going to ask you a twofold question here. So my buddy Joe Marcello um, sent me some questions for you. He's a good guy. He actually ran a bunch of fight promotions up in Portland for a while. So he's a big fan of yours. I told him I'd ask you some of these questions, but they, they piggyback on some of the ones I wanted to ask too. And one of them you already started talking about, which was your opinion on today's music and the music industry as a whole from what it was then to what it is now. And then I also want to ask you the same thing on jujitsu because you told me some really cool stories on jujitsu about you guys taking like Rodrigo on the road back in the day. And even today with everybody being quarantined and the amount of content that every day the Gracie guys or Matt or Mark Turner or, you know, John Danaher or Silver Fox. There's so much free stuff on there because of technology. But one of the things you said was the cycle. So you go on tour after you write a record and you make money on the record and make money on the merch. But since the, the compensation model looks like it's changed a little bit, um, tagging on to that, what are you seeing is the difference in the industry as far as just the way it's changed from an artist perspective and the way it's changed from a business perspective. And um, one of the things he said was he, on the timeline, after you wrote the song Business, and you said the music's for you and me, not the industry, you, you started your your own um, production company after that. So he wanted to know, does having your own record label and your own production studio attribute you to being able to keep the music more genuine and really be able to have a lot of control over what you feel and who you are and how you, re how you represent yourself? And it's kind of a long question, but a couple, couple of different things in there. No, I got it. And um, yes, number one, of course, I, what I've applied to my success, no, what I credited to my, to what I credit to my, my access to this, I found out what are the things that I'm, I'm spending, because you have to, the budgets are different. The industry changed so much, we're making 80% less than we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So imagine living off of 20% of what you're making you know, last year, that's, and this year looks like it's probably going to end up being like that. But you, um, I looked at ways, I'm like, okay, where am I, what, what are the things that I know how to do and things that I don't know how to do? And I learned things I didn't know how to do. I was, um, you know, I, I love creating, but I also loved always making my videos and, and directing, and I got more and more into directing. And then I was like, oh, but I don't know how to edit it. And these days, you have to, content is everything. So I learned how to edit. I learned how to, so I make my own videos. I mastered, not mastered, but I learned how to use Premiere and do all my editing. I do all my filming. I take photos, like find out the things that are cost effective and be like, where am I spending my money on? Oh, okay, I don't know how to do this. I can't make, you need flyers. I learned how to make, use Photoshop and Illustrator and became a graphic designer. So I don't need to have, hire somebody $500 to make a, a tour poster, you know? And now if there's a budget and I can work with an artist, then yeah, then, then it's an elective, not a necessity, you know? So um, the early days, I think the first thing was putting myself through school and learning how to record. Um, and that was a story I mentioned earlier I took the money, to, you know, to pay my college loans and and use that to put myself through school, to learn how to do that. And I started doing all the biohazard demos, and that that skill 
grew into what I have today, and I have a successful recording studio here in Los Angeles. Um, I did all the sur- Suicide City stuff at the studio in, in Jersey. Um, and then, and that kind of like was the first thing, and that helped me uh, apply that philosophy to learning how to direct my own videos and make my own videos, make my own flyers, um, and then even marketing. I, you know, I just asking questions, watching what people did. There was one of the, a lot of the skills that I learned as a producer. I learned from other producers that we worked with, guys that we were paying, you know, a lot of money to. I would be over their shoulder, like, "What are you doing there?" Or sometimes, you know, like guys who would be, you know, like they would get frustrated with my questions. So I'd be like, "Okay, how is he doing that?" I would watch what he would do, listen, learn and retain that information. And now I apply it to the bands that I work with. So there are a lot of free lessons in addition to the education that I invested in. Um, there was a, a, a good friend of mine that I take on tour. He was a technician, like, a, like a, a roadie, a tech guy, who taught me how to program HTML and I program my own websites. I can't start it from scratch, but I can update it and I don't have to pay somebody $300 a month to, excuse me, to update shit. I know how to do it. I can go in, use TechMate, up, you know, change my code. It's simple. And a lot of times is that people don't, they're, not, they're afraid of growth because they're intimidated by the, the lack of knowledge. Get rid of that intimidation. Don't be scared of it. And embrace a new, a, a new branch, a new path, which is something that I think is, is a valuable tool for this isolation. Use this time to better yourself, you know? Venture into something new. To me, um, it's, it's not like, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. At this time alone, I'm using it to better myself. It's not just doing, trying to do 400 push-ups in a day. It's tr- taking on a new thing, you know? And, and th- th- some of the things that I'm doing are, are private, some things are more public, um, but, it's important, like, you know, you can sit there and find out how to do something from searching on YouTube and some, having some 13-year-old kid teach you how to make a cool video on TikTok or how to invest in the stock market or how to use, um, I don't know, there's so many different ways. Have something that's a little bit intimidating, get rid of the... Uh, anxiety over um, that you have with it and jump in because you know what I mean it, you're not gonna you only fail um, people are watching so there you go you're isolated Try something yeah different. nice man now as far as uh, jiu-jitsu how is that how has that helped you um, with business and life and um, I think for me I, I I don't know what you would really call it, but uh, one of the guys that I was training with out in uh, California, he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, my kid is like an iPhone. She's a new baby. And every time she goes to sleep, she wakes up the next morning with updates like an iPhone. You know, now she talks. Now she says this for it. Now she says this thing. And, you know, I realized that for me, jujitsu was my reset. So I feel like everybody needs something that they're forced to not be able to think about what their problems are. So the more... I'm having a tough day or I'm going with like a deal or something that I just can't figure out. I can't, can't get out of my own head. And I'm going, I can't go to jujitsu today because I have this thing. 
those are the days that I'll push myself to go even more. And the fact that it forces you to be present and almost like shut your, your hardware off for an hour. Then when you come out of that, you kind of reset and then I come back. And even if I just got my ass whooped all day and choked out by everybody, I come back and I'm like, man, I feel better. I can tackle this problem. I feel like I'm in a better mood. Like my head's more clear. I'm seeing a whole new angle on this thing. And that kind of has given me uh, my hardware boost every, every single day I go to do it. And again, some of those lessons are just being in bad spots and, and knowing not to tap out, but to just stay calm and find your way out. And some of the camaraderies and the friends that I've made, there were people that will be my best friends for the rest of my life. So in my brother, damn, he got into it. So you're, you're the main guy that got me into it. I started going down training with Matt Sarah, who uh, I just was texting with Ray Longo. He said to say hello to you. Um, I'm sure if I heard from Matt, he would say the same. But, um, you know, and you're out there and you trained out here on the East Coast and then you went back out, the, out there. And then my brother started training out there at Matt Sarah's and his life's better. He's a better person. Like you remember, he used to be pretty high strung, pretty high like tension and, and anxiety. And that stuff's all God. He's literally like a completely different person. And I attribute that mainly to the circle that he hangs out with at jiu-jitsu. And people celebrating each other's wins. And I remember he said something one day on Facebook. And he's like, man, I wish my musician friends would celebrate each other's wins the same way my jiu-jitsu friends do. Because you know if you're off the mats and you show up and some guy's been there three times a day every day for the last six months. And now he's giving you fits or he's passing or he catches you in something. He didn't get lucky. He earned that. And you're not like, man, fuck that guy. You're like, good for him, man. He put the time and he's getting better. I'm going to up my game. I'm going to figure out how we did that. And I think just the circles he ran with and changing his mindset and being around more positive people and, and kind of earning your keep there made him start to cut out the negative people in his life. He found a better girl. He's in a better environment now. And, um, you know, again, you, the, especially at your school, the, the amount of different people that are there is crazy. That gym is huge. And there's so many different personalities and backgrounds and everything on the map. But when they're there, they're all a family. Like one of the guys, I think you had me roll with some guy there that was like a, some special ops guy. He was huge and he was strong. I think he was a brown belt. And he came in and was just like smashing me and like going for broken. And then after he was like, man, what happened to your hand? And I told him and he's like, I don't love it. He's like, but I love you. And he gave me this big hug. He's like, can't wait to see you again. And it was just the energy was like, man, that was really cool that we just like two strangers go at it for like five minutes and then turn around. And now this guy's like just giving me hugs and telling me how much he appreciates me. And I was like, that's what you get at jujitsu at a good jujitsu school with a good environment and good teachers like Henry and Heron and Matt and Ray that bring that down. And then you go out and you put that out into other people in your life. And to me, it's just been the best thing I've ever done. And again, you're the guy who pushed me to start doing that. So if you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast for the guests and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'd only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes. Start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. Um, just talk a little bit about your journey in jiu-jitsu, being a first-degree black belt at one of the most famous jiu-jitsu schools in the world and how that's helped you on and off the mats in your personal and professional life. Of course. So first... Uh, Shout out to Ray and, and Matt, good dudes. Um, known them for years. I met, met Ray through Pedro Sauer years ago, went to a seminar and been friends, you know, handled with, with uh, Matt was a blue belt, I think, and we were white belts and watched him come up, writing a song for him, one of his fights. So kudos to them. Your brother is a great dude. I always loved his work ethic. Him and I always got along great. And 
very similar grind ethic. Um, that obviously you guys got that from your your, your folks, um, who I love to say hi. To. Please tell them I said hi. The thing is, um, I look at I don't I don't I I kind of see it's more common in the jiu-jitsu world, but what I've found is successful people are more positive and more uplifting, more sharing, more um, celebratory and success. What I learned in the, coming up with Biohazard was um, my brother and working class bros who were just like fucking, you know, we all had our jobs. You know, I worked at a garbage truck. I worked in security in a punk rock store. I worked at a sex shop. Um, I worked for these Italians in Bensonhurst. They would send me around delivering clothes and I would have to pick up, you know, brown paper bags every, you know, once or twice a month from different people. So um, I've had a lot of different jobs. One of the things I took away the most was the people who are successful celebrate in your success. And I found that people who aren't successful usually will be the first ones to hate on you. To, to diss you for being successful. Um, people that I know that are doing well in life help others do well in life. And it doesn't mean you have to give them money, but I found that I have more in common with the guy who's like, fuck yeah, bro, great fucking job. You keep doing what you're doing. Then I do with the guys like, man, fucking, I don't, I hate my fucking life. I hate my job. I don't have time for that. And that's a cancer. And you mentioned that a little way uh, back about your brother. You kind of have to cut that out of your life, you know. And sometimes it happens sooner than later, but it eventually happens. And people who are successful sooner in life learn that lesson. I carried around a lot of negative energy for a long time. And I think when I started applying that, when I figured it out, and then applying that to my life, um, you know, like successful people are, are too busy being successful to talk shit about people, other people. You know what I mean? Um, I've noticed, you know, so there's a lot of things that I've applied and I've learned. Um, and, and there's, I've also heard, it's more common in my, our circle of, of, of jujitsu and fighters where the philosophies kind of come out on the mat and they say we apply it to other parts of life. But I've also had conversations with people who are successful in other industries that learn similar philosophies and that pass it on. They're claiming that they learn it from their industry. So I don't think it's particular in just jujitsu. It's just something that in the fight world that we see. But there's more time, you know, between rounds or after a training session where you're exhausted and you've been depleted of all this excess of stress and energy that you're just like, ugh. So you're free to philosophize on things that you're thinking about. So you share the, I call it the jiu-jitsu mat philosophy. And some people have it, they get it from Facebook. My wife will sit, give, give me some helpful antidotes with certain things. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Did you read on Facebook? You know? <laughs> so I think it's out there. Um, some people get it through meditation. Some people find yoga and they say things that I've, that I've heard from a fighter 
who's fucking on the up and fucking the UFC. Two completely different ways of, of two different, completely different paths, but it's the same philosophy, you know? So hopefully I covered what you, you wanted on that. Yeah, yeah man, I, I love that. I think it's all great. And again, uh, I can't say enough good things about just the environment, the community that I've, I've seen in jiu-jitsu. And when I come out by you guys, Alex Stewart is always above and beyond nice to me, man. Meets me anytime I want. Um, trains with me early in the morning and, you know, it's always quick to text and jump on and do a podcast. Um, Henry and Heron and all the people you've had me train with over there have been great. It's really just a great environment. I always enjoy training stuff there. I get a lot of those classes, so I really appreciate you hooking me up over there. Um, let me make sure I don't forget any of the other questions you got on there. Yeah, here's a, good thing. here's a good thing. I, by the way, looking at my phone is something I never do, but my wife's at PT and I'm waiting for her to text me to come pick her up. But no, nah, you're totally fine, man. Here's something. Um, here's something with um, you can tell a good school from where people bring their children to. And one of the many things that I love about um, Horian, Henner, and Heron was. The philosophies are one thing. The jujitsu is another thing. But when Henner and Heron were very pro um, passing the message that they don't drink, they don't do drugs, there's a whole other side to the to the jujitsu education, which is phenomenal, that I love, you know, and, and that's why both my kids came up there. I mean, put both of them in, in school. Um, with the Gracies at five and watched through my daughter and for my son um, the, the life lessons that they get besides in parallel to the great jiu-jitsu lessons that they get were uncompromising and so powerful that I think that that's a great thing to, to pass on to people. Ask people where, where, where do your children change and that's the school where you want to go. I love that man you're right the the environment over there is very wholesome. Like even, you know, a guy like Brian Ortega, who's a total badass, was totally nice and had a great role with me and was asking great questions. And same thing over at Matt's, man. You walk in, his wife's there, his kids are all there, or, you know, guys that I'm training with as a black belt are bringing their kids in there. And it is just a family environment, man. It really makes all the difference in the world. And uh, it's just changed a lot for me. I I, I really, it's, it's it's my church, if you will, you know, and uh, try to do stuff, yeah. use the grappling dummy over there and watch as many videos as I can. I'm seeing Alex post a lot of cool stuff with uh, with Hiran on um, on uh, Instagram and things like that. So trying to just keep jujitsu busy on the brain so we can go back and actually start rolling and stuff, you know. Um, so what's what's uh, some places people can find you and see what you're up to, what you're doing? I know you got a bunch of different bands, a bunch of different projects. Um, you're very active on social media, which I think you're doing an awesome job with. I see you're on TikTok now. You're killing it on Instagram. You're all over Facebook and Twitter. Um, so how do people find out what's going on with you? You can reach me at Billy Biohazard everywhere. Um, it, it was something, especially now more than any other time, the Biohazard name is is pretty powerful. Um, oh, so yeah. I, I have all my websites, but social media, I'm there all day long. You hit me a message, it's going to be me. It's not some intern or some manager or some assistant replying to your question. It's me. Um, TikTok is a new thing that's cool. That I, it's another creative tool. Um, it's a whole different thing. What you do and how you, the creative side of TikTok is not the same creative side, or I don't get the same creative fill as I do 
from Facebook or Instagram. It's a totally different new animal. But I remember getting a, a message, a buddy of mine in Brazil said, hey, you should check out this new platform. It's pretty cool. It's called Instagram. And I went over and checked it out. And I was like, oh, it looks pretty cool. It kind of looks like a, um, you know, like a, a cool thing for photographers. I love, you know, photographs. And so I jumped on the platform and it, it didn't take off at first, but eventually it did. And now it's the new Facebook. And ironically, Facebook bought Instagram. So I, <laughs> I imagine Facebook will probably eventually buy TikTok. But you have to be flexible in, um, in everything. You know, you can't be rigid. Any, a tree that is too strong will break under pressure. You have to be flexible. The bamboo is way more um, thriving in the environment in, than an oak tree. You know, oak tree is strong as fuck, but one lightning storm, bam, it's gone. So being more flexible has enabled me to be more successful. Wise words, man. I love that. So, again, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for everything with, um, you know, just always taking care of my brother on the road, always being there to, to roll with me and train with me. It's it's a cool thing that at this point in my life, me and my brother were talking about it, that a lot of our heroes have become our friends, like you and Matt and Ray and a lot of these guys, man. So you've always been really good to me, always been really good to my family, and uh, I can't thank you enough for it, and especially for doing this with me while you're all locked up and just touching base for an hour. Uh, any Any final thoughts, anything you can leave people with before? Yeah, I think that, um, like everything, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, and we will be stronger from this. This isolation is a little bit difficult because first it was two weeks and people are like, how are we going to make it through two weeks? Now it's another month. And it may be extended, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Use this time as I am. It's not just something I read in a book um, through practice. Make yourself better. Use the time, the free time to do the things that you wish you had time for before. Um, and when we come out of this, we're all going to be stronger, not only as in, in individuals, but as families, as a country, and as a world, and as a human race. So I wish everyone the best. Uh, send me a message. You have a lot of free time, as I do. I will answer you soon. Billy Biohazard everywhere. Nick, thank you for your time, brother. I, as awesome. I forward to spending time with you talking to you and training with you 100 man please tell your your family and the guys jitsu like alex and everybody i said hello and be safe i will you too brother peace thank you man have a great day